Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. It's great to have all of you here today. It's especially good to have Nathan McKinnon here today. He's an intern from Bear Valley Church last last summer, right? Two summers and then a couple summers before that. Uh, I met Nathan when he was in seventh grade. And he was really good at basketball in seventh grade, so I called him the champ. The champ, you can call him that too. It's, a, it's okay, I, you can call him, go ahead. Um, but it's great to have uh, you back and trust that it'll be an encouragement to you to be home. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, I'd like to read to you uh, the last half of the chapter in preparation. We're going to be looking at, I believe, the last six verses um, this morning. Please stand in honor of God's Word. Starting at verse 16, Colossians chapter 2. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but not. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to the human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. God, we ask your wisdom uh, and your grace upon our time. God, we ask that you would help us to understand your word and that we would diligently apply it and that we would find the freedom that comes from knowing you. God, you're so good. You provided for us all our needs. And we trust that even today, uh, as we spend time together, that this is what we need. And so we praise you. We thank you for this time. We ask that you would glorify yourself in it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I've already preached one uh, message this morning, and uh, I got some feedback, which was good that some people were confused, and so that was good too. Uh, this morning, as we look to God's Word, I realized that some of us come in with uh, ideas about what it's supposed to look like, this life. And uh, those ideas are collected really from our upbringing, from people we knew, uh, people we know now, people we listen to, and even those we don't listen to and we shove away. Uh, all these things kind of build what we think about life and how we're going to live. This morning, uh, we are going to continue on. And I'd like to start in verse 17 Last week we uh, had a kind of abbreviated time, which was really um, just a sweet Sunday. Hopefully not just because I didn't preach that long. 
but because we had our youth sharing with us and just a lot of neat stuff going on. Verse 17, verse 17 is where we ended last week and it says these, meaning these things that, uh, these things on, on the table, these food and these drink, or these things on the calendar, uh, festivals and new moons and these different uh, things that people pointed to. He said, these are, verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And what a beautiful picture of saying, these are just a shadow. And do we want just the shadow? Or do we want the substance, which is Christ? Paul's going to continue on in his argument uh, that Christ is better than everything. And this morning, as we look at verse 18, he says, Let no one disqualify you. Let no one disqualify you. It's a similar concept to judge. Let no one impose upon you and show you that you're wrong. And, and sometimes we are wrong. But what he's trying to get at this morning, and I want you to see this, is there's, there's Christ on one side and there's everything else on the other. Everything else. Everybody's ideas of the way you should live. And there's this tug of war, this tug of war for us. And we are the prize. We are the prize. We are what's at risk. You'll look in uh, one of the big issues in the book of Colossians, in verse 8, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive. I, I want you to get the picture in your mind that you're the one that's at risk. I think sometimes in our confidence, in our self-confidence, we go, nah, you know, I, I'm not the one that's at risk here. You know, for false teaching, that, that's not really going to ever be a problem for me. And yet this morning, as we look at really one of the biggest issues in the book of Colossians is false teaching. And he brings it to bear here. And he, it's a very subtle difference. And maybe that's why it's so hard for us to get through. It's a very subtle difference this dangerous false teaching that we're going to look at this morning. He says there, let no one disqualify you. Let no one pull you away and get you into something that is wrong. And then he goes on to list um, really the, the problem in the book of Colossians. Insisting on asceticism. The idea of asceticism is uh, the, the belief that through saying no, through saying no, that that is something that we can cling to. It could be no to any kind of sexual pleasure. It could be no to alcohol. It could be no to a certain food. It could be no to a certain activity. It's the idea of, of purposely setting up a rule that, that will somehow make me right with God, that I can gain confidence and he says to them, he says, let no one disqualify you by insisting on asceticism, by insisting on rules. I realize that some of you grew up in maybe uh, some kind of Baptist tradition as I did. And when we think of rules, we think of different things that people would point out and say, if you do this, you're okay. If you don't do this, you're bad. You're bad and there's a sense of shame to it. And some of you are feeling shameful right now, even as I'm talking about it. You're bad. 
There's a list of rules, and sometimes those rules are out there, and they say, you have to say no to this. And this morning, as we look at this passage, I want to tell you that this passage is not about saying no. It's not about saying no. And that may make us nervous. It makes me nervous, to be honest with you. That was part of the confusion of the first service, is that people were struggling with, well, if I don't say no, then what am I supposed to say? Am I supposed to jump into all those things and do all those things that I know are bad and I, I'm struggling? You, you take away my rules, I'm, I'm going to get lost here. I'm going to get lost. And he says, let no one disqualify you or judge you. It's not asceticism. It's not the idea of abstaining or saying no. That's not where, where it's at. That's not where life is meant to be lived. He goes on to talk about the worship of angels. The worship of angels. You say the worship of angels. Never even thought about it. To be honest, I haven't either. I haven't thought about the worship of angels. In fact, most like little figurines of angels, I think, are weird looking. And I, I think that that's just kind of, I don't know, I don't get it. Most likely in this passage wasn't necessarily the bowing down, the praying to, or anything like that of angels. Most likely it was just the seeking of angels, the idea of, I wonder if there are angels in our midst, and I want to make contact with them, and I want to somehow figure out about the angels thinking that somehow there's some kind of hidden secret in them, that there's some kind of power or knowledge or, or spiritual relationship that, that in them, that's where it's at. And he says, he lists this as one of the things. He says, don't, don't let anyone disqualify you or judge you. Don't, don't let this be the issue for you, the worship of angels. Angels aren't where it's at. Rules are not where it's at. He goes on. He says uh, he wants to talk about visions. And most likely all these things are connected to some uh, form. The idea of saying no brings you in contact or uh, leaves you open to the contact of angels or understanding them. And through these angels, you get some kind of details of visions. And it's not... uh, Visions in the scripture, and even as is referred to here, some of us get the picture here that he's talking about specific knowledge of God. But what he, what this person or these persons or these false teachers are doing is they're saying, I have knowledge that you don't have. I have some kind of hidden insight, and I want to go through the details, and you don't have those, and I do. And there's a certain sense of spiritual experience He's saying these details about visions. And where does this end up? He says uh, to them, he says, uh, it's not about these uh, saying no. It's not about angels. It's not about your visions, your details that you think you know. Verse 4, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. It's interesting. It says his sensuous mind. It leads me to believe that the false teacher in the book of Colossians was a known person, that they knew who he was. Maybe his name was Bob or Phil or... No, he wasn't Phil. Sorry, Phil. Uh, uh, 
It, it was it was somebody that they knew. And when Paul wrote to them, they were thinking of him. Or maybe he was thinking of him and the followers of him. I don't know. But what does this lead to? What is this idea of saying no? Uh, of of looking for outward uh, um, visions and, and different knowledge from angels. What does this lead to? What does it say puffed up? It causes them to become prideful. And this pride is not based on a true spirituality, but instead the, quite the opposite, a sensuality, a lust that says, I want more for me. I, I want to do what I want to do. So what's the opposite of this? What's the opposite of rules of some kind of spirituality outside of there, some kind of going about after visions? What is the opposite? Verse 19. The problem with this person being puffed up was this, and not holding fast to the head. Not holding fast to the head. Who is the head? Got to make this connection. Who is the head? Christ. Some of you are a little slow on that. And it makes me nervous for the future here. He's the head. He's the head. When I think about, uh, it's important, and I, I make a joke about this. You know, we're in, we've been talking about chickens at our house quite a bit. And with any animal, including humans, we're not animals, but is the head important? When a chicken doesn't have a head anymore, it's a problem for the chicken. Do you understand that? And why? And why? Because if you if you're not connected to the head, if you're not connected to the head, the body is dead. The body is dead. And there's a very graphic picture here that from the head comes everything. Comes everything. Without the head, it's dead. And he says this, he says this. It's not about your rules. It's not about your experiences. These things puff you up and cause you to go about your own desires. Not being connected to the head. A very different picture here. A very different idea of what life is meant to be for them. Look at verse 19 and really gives us the picture of how we are to be. What, what life is supposed to be like. And not holding fast to the head or clinging to the head. From whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. That passage is talking about growing in the Lord, right? Growing in the Lord. Let me ask you a question. If you don't have your Bibles open, you're going to be in trouble. Um, In verse 19, is that talking about you personally or us corporately? What's it talking about? Yes. Just to be ornery, I'll say no. Okay? Yes. Yes. I think sometimes when we read the scripture, we're uh, we're reading it alone. We're interacting. We're in church. It's somewhat anonymous here. It's somewhat anonymous. I'm not looking for feedback. I'm not calling you out by name and saying, what do you think? And it's not interactive. You're kind of in your own world. 
and you're saying, I need to grow in the Lord. And you know that, right? You know, you know you're weak here, right? If you don't, I'll be the first one to tell you, you're weak. You're weak. And there's a sense of when we fail, when we sin, we go, oh, I'm weak. I'm weak. And some of us have this idea that somehow that through making a bunch of rules, having a bunch of experiences, that somehow we're going to get strong. Our rules are going to make us strong. That's not what this passage is talking about. In fact, it says, those things have not cut it, not cut it. But clinging to the head, which is Christ. And and then it goes on to talk about what happens as we cling to Christ. It's so beautiful. It says, from whom the whole body nourishes and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Let, Let me answer my own question. Is this talking about us individually or corporately? I believe it's talking about us corporately. You know why? Because it's talking about us growing together, ligaments stuck together and connected with Christ. But this is the picture that I want you to get. This is the individuality. Us individually are meant to be fit together one with another and to the head, which is Christ. Do you get that? And what happens as we are connected with Christ, what happens is growth from God, supernatural growth. And this growth is meant to make us strong. Now, I want, I want you to get this this morning. It's super important. I think sometimes, and, and I talk about this all the time, so I'll just talk about it again. I think sometimes we get the picture that we don't need to be a part of this church. And when I say this church, I'm talking about any church. But this church, okay? If this is your church, this is where it's at right here. If it's not wherever that other church is, that's where it's at. Why? Well, what is God doing to make you strong? How is He going to make you strong? Look at the passage. Connected to Christ, grown one to another. Ligaments. Being, being fit together being connected, very similar to the picture he gives us in the book of Ephesians. And and this is the important thing. Some of us go, oh man, my life's such a mess. I'm struggling with sin. I'm so weak. And and yet we keep the church at a distance. We, We keep God's people from afar. We say we're connected to churches we never go to. And and this is, this is what's important. Why? Let me ask you a question. Who who is this good for? Who is this good for? Look at that passage. Tough question to answer. It's good for everybody, right? You think Christ is more honored when we're connected with Him? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think it's better for the church when we're connected with it? Absolutely. Do you think it's better for you? Absolutely. You see, this is how we get strong. And, and once again, I want to point out, who's doing the work? Whose work is this? Whose strength is this? What does it say? Who brings about the growth? God. It's His plan. His plan to grow you strong is that you would be connected with Christ, clinging to Him as the head. 
and that he would be doing his work as we're connected one with another. I don't say that to put on the guilt trip and, you know, I'm really trying to grow this church so it'll be the biggest church in Tehachapi and we'll show all those other churches. That's what we're going to do. We'll be awesome for awesome's sake. Who grows the church? God does. God's in the process of growing his church. And if this church is ever going to be strong, it's going to be connected to Christ and he's going to be doing the work of connecting us one to another. That's the plan. That's what he's doing. See, that's a lot, that's different. That's different than looking on the calendar and seeing what festival's coming up next, right? It's different than saying, well, I I don't eat this or I don't eat that or I don't participate in that activity. I don't touch that. That's different, isn't it? It's clinging to Christ. Once again, the reason that's so important is because life is found in Christ. Life is not found in rules. Life is not found in, in visions and spirituality apart from Christ. Paul is uh, driving home this point, not belaboring, but really coming at it over and over again because there's a tendency for us to love rules. Did you know that? Some of us say when we're young, oh, I hate all the rules. Uh, Not necessarily. When the rules make you feel like you're winning, you really like them. In fact, you like to make more rules when you're playing games. Have you ever done that? Especially with your siblings, it works really well. Right? Right? And they start to win, and you go, ah, that's not the rule. Yes, it is. Then you've got to get the rule book out, right? Don't you love it when you figured out a rule that nobody else has figured out, and then you wait to use it to your advantage? We love those kind of rules. We love them. And so some of us say, well, we don't love rules. Yeah, we do. We love rules that make us feel like we're doing great. But the point of this passage is we're not going to be doing great by some rules or anything else. We're, it's being connected to Christ. Being connected to Christ. Verse 20 says this. He makes the same point over in a questioning manner, bringing it home to us personally. And I title this section, Worthless Pursuits. Look at this. If with Christ you died... With Christ you died. Paul brings up in the book of Colossians, as other places, he brings up our connection, our connection with Christ. And what are we connecting? What is the gospel that we are connected? We give ourselves to the message of the gospel is that Jesus died. Jesus died. He's buried and he rose again. And in our identification with him and his death, burial and resurrection, that is where life is found in our connection with Christ. That's where life is found. So Paul says this, verse 20. He says, If if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, meaning the way the world works, the way that this sinful world is set up, if you died with Christ to that, then what? Or why? as if you were still alive in the world, as if you still belong to those rules and those seeking after other things, do you submit to its regulations? And what are the regulations? Verse 21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. He's laying out there some vague rules once again, and he says, why do you submit to those rules? 
Why do you go back to them? If Christ has set you free through His death and you've identified with Him, why do you go back living that way? Why? He says something interesting about all those rules and regulations. He says they they have a shelf life. Verse 22, referring to the things that all perish as they are, are used. Did you know that all those rules and stuff, they all have a shelf life? They only get you by for a very short period of time and not even that. If you feel good about not touching or eating something, how long is that going to make you feel good? How long? Month? Year? I didn't eat this one meal five years ago because I thought it was bad. How is that? How is it? There has a shelf life. This isn't something that is going to last. And so what does he say? He compares Christ and us clinging to Christ to these other bunch of rules. And he says, they're not going to last. And what about Christ? What about him? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to these things, they all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. He brings something super important up to these list of rules. He says, these rules come from men. They're taught by men. That Christ isn't about the rules. Christ isn't about the rules. I want to be careful here, uh, not to stray into error and you hearing something that I'm not saying. We are not talking about a life of just reckless, sinful abandon. Because Christ has done it all, we can sin as much as we want. And really, there is no sin because of what Christ has done. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, as we cling to Christ, we will no longer need the rules because He will change us. It's real simple. Uh, for those of you who are married, um, you know, you were searching high and low for your spouse. I'm speaking personally. I was searching high and low. And when I found her, um, when she was chasing me down and just begging me to be her, she was saying, can I please be your wife? Sorry, babe. Uh, lies. I'm just fearful. I li- but... Uh, you understand, you understand that once you have found your spouse, that there's a sense in which you have to hate all others. That there's a sense in which, you know, in our culture, you can't have a bunch of wives. Do you understand that? And you can't say, well, you know, that you're my favorite, and you're my favorite, and you're my favorite, and you're my favorite. You're off the market. And the picture here is this that you either have Christ or you have all that other stuff. You either cling to Christ or you trust in that other stuff. This is titled Worthless Pursuits because as you look at those other rules and laws and other way of living, that comes from man, not from God. God's answer for your sin problem was not rules. I want to tell you that. It was not rules. It was Christ. As he goes on here, he describes and he says, these are human precepts and teaching. Verse 23, 
These have indeed the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. What are those things? What do they have the appearance of? Wisdom. They look like wisdom. It's interesting. He, he referred to them earlier as what? The shadow. The shadow. Do you think he's saying that these are wise things to do here? No. He says they look like wise things. These, these following after spirituality and, and different rules. He says, it seems like a good thing to do. It sounds like it would be wisdom. But where does it leave you if you cling to that instead of Christ? Where does it leave you? The second half of that verse says this. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What's the value of that? None. None. You see, this is one of our struggles. Is that we see ourselves to be weak, and so we want to be strong. And you say, well, how can I be strong? How can I conquer in life? How can I make it? And you start grabbing at things. You say, do I need this? Do I need that? And it's like getting your ads in the mail. You get this stack of bills and ads, and you say, do I need this? Do I need this? No, I don't need this. And, and most of you are like, oh, this advertising is just terrible. And then you find something that you want, and you're like, I need this. I need it. What a great deal. This is going to change my life. And that's most of the time how we go through life and we're, we're searching for things that will make us no longer weak and we will be the conquerors. And this passage is going over and hammering the same point over and over again that your weakness will not get strong in any of these other things. In fact, these things are of no value. They're worthless. In this passage, as we look at where is our trust to be found? Where is our hope to be uh, found in? It's in Christ. It's in Christ. And you say, well, how will that help me with these other things? As we cling to Christ, He will change our heart. And it will no longer be based on the rules that we don't do, the things that we don't want to do that make us weak. But it will be out of that relationship with Him. Do you see? Christ is all we need. He is all we need. This morning, as we gathered together, undoubtedly there are some of you uh, who don't know Christ but are clinging to some kind of system. Some kind of system. The, the rules that maybe you grew up with or some uh, other church where some man was behind it, made a list of rules, and you said, this is how... Um, you're going to be okay as if you follow these rules. And the sad thing about rules that we even like is that many times we offend the very rules that we made up. And so there's a sense of guilt always to that. I want to tell you, you need Christ. You need Him. Uh, you, you don't need your list of rules. For others of you, um, you have come to know Christ. You found yourself uh, a beggar and weak and, and you came to Him and you submitted to Him and He, he took care of your sins. He, he washed you clean and, and you're so thankful. And you, like the Galatian church, you walked away and you said, now I'm going to be really good. Now I'm going to make myself a good set of rules and that rules are going to help me be good. 
and you abandoned the good gospel that saved you and you said, now I'm going to work for it. I want to tell you, you need Christ. You need Christ. And really for all of us this morning, there's no other answer than Jesus. I love the way it says it in verse 19, not holding fast to the head. We want to hold fast to him. And that's the only answer that I have for you this morning. So let's pray. God, uh, I ask that you would just continue to cause this message to marinate in our hearts. That you would give us wisdom to um, sort out the mess that we have made of our lives. Lord, I know that often we cling to what we have set up and the things that we are pursuing uh, and neglect Jesus. God, help us to see that he's all we need in everything. God, thank you for this morning. I ask your blessing on your church. In Jesus' name, amen.